Hello and welcome to Ensign's latest podcast. My name is Ross Clark and I'm a partner in the GP team. This is one of a series of primary care podcasts we're producing in 2020 and this short 15-minute podcast will cover the role of the GP provider companies in the context of PCNs and some of the key issues associated with the use of a PCN company. So first of all, why would PCNs consider uh, forming a company or using uh, an established GP provider organization or GP provider company uh, to assist them? Well, the fundamental point about a limited liability company is limited liability. Uh, It is the company that enters into contracts uh, and it's the company that employs staff and it's therefore the company that's liable. The shareholders, if it's a share company, uh, don't have any personal liability beyond paying for their share. And it's usually a nominal share value, a pound, ten pound shares or something that, that, that is, is asked for. So the, the primary benefit of a company is, is this limitation of liability and keeping liabilities away from the uh, practices that are um, members of the PCM. Now, this is particularly, I think, useful when it comes to the employment of PCN staff. So the additional rules under the additional rules, reimbursement scheme, pharmacists, social prescribing link workers, etc. Because those additional staff can be employed by the company rather than by the practices. And that has caused a lot of headaches in PCNs where practices are all sort of familiar with maybe employing somebody that that, that they may share with another practice. But this is different. This is sort of uh, staff that may never actually be based at their practice, maybe working elsewhere and they feel uncomfortable with that. So the company acts as a good vehicle as an employer. Now, um, this is also going to become more important because um, PCNs need to be agreeing arrangements with local community services and mental health providers, not just how they'll work together, but, but, but the requirement is, is on joint decision making and how they can come to joint decision making about integrated care teams. So it's all becoming a bit more complex and a company can effectively be a good joint venture vehicle between the practices, community service, mental health and, and other providers. And, and it does provide a good sort of uh, joint venture basis and joint decision making uh, basis as well. It's a good structure for that. Um, it, the the uh, latest DES also specification made it clear that, um, which is already in the GMS contracts, that practices can subcontract um, DES services to the company, including clinical services. So any of the dead services could be subcontracted to a company to allow that company to perform the services on behalf of the uh, des- uh, the PCM practices. And uh, non-clinical services, support services, uh, the employment of staff, locum agency services, all of those services could, could, could uh, be taken on by a company. Um, and the fundamental point of that is it keeps those risks away from the practices. So it ring fences those risks within the company and keeps it away from the member practices of the PCN. Um, And also worth bearing in mind that a company can assist multiple PCNs at the same time. Now, this is a rule that's uh, becoming more um, prevalent for a number of the well-established GPPOs, GP provider organisations that were set up a few years ago in many areas. They very often already have um, CQC because they've already got APMS contracts, they're running extended access, additional services. Um, so they're ready-made vehicles sitting there. And one of the concerns of the PCN is, well, we're one of six PCNs um, in the area and that GPPO is 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 set up for um, the practices of all of the um, mem- member practices across all, all, all of the PCNs in the area. Um, 
but it provides it's a ready-made vehicle that can provide the benefit of limited liability and take the risk out of the practice but it also has a good mechanism that can can give local control to each pcn because the fundamental decision-making body in a company is the board of directors but crucially the board of directors can establish subcommittees of the board and this is a useful mechanism we've used for this purpose with pcns where the board can appoint uh, let's say there's three PCNs in the area, can appoint three separate subcommittees, each subcommittee aligned to a particular PCN. Now, um, there will be one or two of the main board directors on the subcommittee, but the majority of the members of the, of the subcommittee can be GPs from the relevant PCN. And the board can delegate to that subcommittee decision-making on matters specific to this clinical services or the support provided to that particular PCN. So the benefit of limited liability, together with the ability to have some direct control over decisions made within the company about the services that the company is delivering on behalf of PCNs, who to employ, where, where, where to have them working, etc., is 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 all available. So it's, it's for those reasons that, that actually more and more PCNs are looking to either create a company and incorporate the PCN in many ways, or alternatively use the existing GPPO that's in the area to serve the same purpose. As ever, there are some issues to be thought through and the position is um, a, a bit complex. So let's take a few of the key issues that arise again and again. The first one is governance and decision making um, and, and the use of a company in the context of a PCN. Now, if it's just a single PCN company, that's easy. You would just make the board of directors who, who, who take the day-to-day -day decisions on behalf of a company, you would just have one or two partners from each practice on the board and you then replicate the practices on the board. The position is more complex where a company is being set up on behalf of multiple PCNs when if you had every practice appointing a, a director, there would be too many people on the board. So I mentioned this previously, the way around that is to use the subcommittees of the board to then delegate down decision-making to um, the particular subcommittees to represent the PCNs. So that generally doesn't become an issue. It needs some thought to make sure that the decision-making is right, voting rights, et cetera, are right, but generally that, that, that can, can be sorted. Um, next issue is CQC. And bear in mind that if um, the PCN establishes a company and wants to subcontract the um, DES services so that the company can perform them rather than the practices individually, that company would then be performing clinical services and therefore it needs to be CQC registered. Now, that currently can take quite a few months. It varies, but we're hearing seven, eight, nine months for a new registration just now. So that can be time consuming. Uh, if you have a local GP provider organization that already holds an APMS contract, it will be CQC registered. So there's a considerable advantage there if you've got a local company that's already established that, 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 that could take a subcontract. So CQC can be a time issue. There won't really normally be a problem of getting CQC registration. It's just the time it would take to, to do it. The next issue is access to the NHS pension scheme. So with, as is typical, the companies being established to become the employer of the PCN staff, the uh, additional roles, the pharmacists, etc., then uh, access to NHS pensions uh, has been or, or was previously a problem. Um, however, 
this was recognised by the, by the centre and the NHS Business Services Authority pub published uh, a sort of guidance on primary care networks and um, access to the pension scheme. And it specifically provided means by which um, companies and federations who are either nominated fund holder or uh, the, direct the, the, the direct employer of PCN staff can gain access through a direction uh, status to the NHS pension scheme. Um, we think there's going to be a longer term solution with new pension regulations to, to um, bring that into to force long term, um, but that interim measure is, is, is good for now. So the, the, the takeaway message is a company can uh, get access to the NHS pension scheme. You need to apply for a direction and we can give more guidance and assistance on that, but the, the staff can get access to NHS pension um, within, within a company structure. Uh, the next and perhaps the most complex and um, trickiest issue is VAT, the question of VAT. Now, we're not tax advisors, we can't advise on tax, but, but we've got a general understanding of this and we come upon it so often with the specialists that we work with. So the general position is, if you're supplying clinical services, generally clinical services are exempt from VAT. Where you're supplying non-clinical other services, business support service services, that can be subject to, to VAT. Now, let's take the example where the company is set up to employ pharmacists and then provide those pharmacists to the uh, to the to the to the member practices of the PCN. Uh, very often we come across clients saying, oh, well, that's a clinical services. We're providing pharmacists, therefore that's a clinical service. But HMRC are, uh, have looked at this very carefully and they've drawn a distinction there and said, no. If, if you are providing the service, if you, the company, has a subcontract and is providing pharmacy services, yes, that's a clinical service. But if what you're doing is employing pharmacists and, uh, and supplying pharmacists to the practices, and it's the practices that have overall control of the pharmacist, that's not the supply of clinical services, that's the supply of staff. Uh, analogous to a locum agency supplying locums. So the locum that comes into the practice, the locum agency isn't providing the clinical services to patients, that's the practice, but it engages a locum from a, from a locum agency to enable it to, to assist it to do that. So that's the analogy there. If you're just simply supplying staff, then there's a danger you might think is clinical services, but it, it, it risks being actually a, a vastable supply. So that in a nutshell is, is the risk area around it. There is one very useful exemption here which is called the cost sharing exemption and if you can set up a cost sharing group then within health within health and health is a section within within which you can set up a cost sharing group so if you set up a cost sharing group you can access a cost sharing exemption and therefore supplies between members of a cost sharing group if at cost are exempt from that so that's a really useful mechanism to uh, use in the company context um, so a, a PCN company can hopefully become a cost sharing group with, with the member practices and obtain that exemption because that's really powerful and it takes that VAT problem away, which is a common problem. Uh, an additional problem if you, the company has been used to engage staff is the employment agency regulations. So these are the regulations that apply to employment agencies, including locum agencies. And as I've said before, if you're actually engaging staff and providing staff, then the company would be subject to those regulations as well and all the requirements to vet pharmacists and ensure there are sufficient standards and qualifications, etc. So there's a number of important issues there. Um, but there is another solution that takes away all of those. If the company 
holds a primary care contract. So if the company that is formed, and it's unlikely a newly formed company would, would, would have this benefit, but an existing GPPO, GP provider organization may well do. If that organization has a GMS, PMS or APMS contract, and a number of them I know do have APMS contracts, then that's a primary care contract. And it, the company, can then become a member of the PCN with the other practices. And that's a really neat solution to use a company because the company becoming a member of the, of, of the PCN is then jointly responsible for delivery of all the dead services, can perform and deliver the services on behalf of the other practices, can employ staff within a ring-fenced corporate vehicle that has limited liability. But all of those issues of that um, pensions access go away because the company is sitting as a primary care provider within the uh, PCN itself. So I hope that's given given you a, a, a brief introduction to sort of why you may consider using a company alongside your um, PCN. And if you do want to think about that, some of the issues that would need to be addressed. Um, they do sound complex and there's a few of them, but you know we've been around all of these with numerous clients and there are solutions and we can usually help identify fairly quickly what's the right thing for you. Um, now, if you do have any questions or want any further information, don't hesitate to, to, to contact me or any of my colleagues. You can find my contact details and other podcasts on the uh, website www.hempsons.co.uk or please feel, feel free to call me. My name again is Ross Clark and my phone number is 01423 724012. That's 01423 now, fine, I just need, need to make clear that, that this podcast includes opinion interpretation, which we consider is correct at the time of recording, but you need to take legal advice on your situation. Um, and as I say, if you'd like to know more, contact us, contact us on the website. And finally, can I just say thank you for your time and listening to this podcast. Thank you. <laughs>